Uh, Pastor Mark Batterson, in his book, The Circle Maker, he recalls the story of Honi, a Jewish scholar in the first century BC. Now, Honi, Honi would later be called the circle maker. Uh, it's told that during a severe drought in Israel, Honi drew a circle in the dust and then he stood inside of it and told God that he would not leave this circle until it rained. Now, when it began to drizzle, Honey told God that it wasn't enough, and so God made it pour. And then Honey told God that he didn't want it to pour, but he wanted a nice, calm rain, at which point the rain calmed down to a normal rain. Now, there are some who think it's a presumptuous thing to tell God what to do. And there are others, there are others who see the story of Honi as a man who trusted deeply in the Lord and was willing to wait on God to meet that need. Now, however you view Honi's actions, one thing is for certain, and Pastor Batterson says this, he says, circles... Circles can be powerful. Circles of prayer where God and humans share space. That that, that is a different kind of geometry. Now, I want to calm the nerves of some who may be in middle or high school who are like, Pastor, listen, (laughs) we get enough geometry throughout the week. We don't need it here today. So here's the thing. We, We won't be talking about geometrical laws or Pythagoras or something like that, but we will see, friends, we will see that Jesus has a deep interest in circles, Now, we're wrapping up our Walking with Jesus series. It was and is a series of invitation. Invitation into some things that we know and some things that we don't. It is an invitation into life and life to the full. It's an invitation to say yes to some things and no to other things. This has been a series about invitation, an invitation to walk with Jesus wherever it is he leads. And sometimes we've noted that Jesus leads us to places that are uncomfortable. When Jesus demands life change or he realigns our time and our priorities. When, when Jesus, in his love for us, prunes from us those things that are unhealthy or sinful. And yet we've also seen that if we walk with Jesus faithfully, when we walk with him, we'll find that Jesus leads us to so much more than we can ask or imagine. He'll lead us to a place of abundance, of life to the full. He'll lead us to a life of of flourishing. And if if we walk and we work with him, if we are yoked together with him, then we'll find rest. We'll find rest for our souls. And today, friends, as I've said already, today Jesus invites us to think about geometry. Now, some of you are like, I didn't hear anything about geometry in the text that we heard Andrea read just moments ago. There was no rhombuses, no trapezoids, no triangles. It's just Jesus doing his Jesus thing. But 
I'm going to encourage you to grab a Bible and we'll see what it is I mean. So hopefully you've brought your own. If you haven't, there's one that's provided for you. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, uh, beginning at verse 10, Luke 13, verse 10. Again, Luke chapter 13, big number 13, little number 10. Now, as you're getting there, uh, again, Luke's gospel, right, the telling of his gospel is well on its way. In fact, since chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus is single-mindedly focused. He has, as Luke writes, set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, since chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus already has in view, he already has in view the cross and the resurrection. He already has in view the completion of his work, a work which he set out and explained in Luke chapter 4 when he was in a synagogue on a Sabbath day when he has handed the roll of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So since chapter nine, verse 51, Jesus already has his sights set on the healing the freedom and the forgiveness that will be poured out for all of humanity in the work of the cross and the resurrection. And so when we pick up the story here in Luke chapter 13, we are, quote, on the way. We are on the way to that work. Now, interestingly, the context of today's narrative, we are once again in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, this, this is going to be the last time in the rest of Luke's gospel that Jesus will be in the synagogue. And so, shockingly, or, or maybe not shockingly, we are in that same context as Luke chapter 4, where he proclaims what his work is going to be. Now, I want to pause here and just note that we are about to read what I believe is a really unique story. Now, Jesus healing somebody isn't really all that unique, or that he'd do something like healing on a Sabbath day. What's so striking about the narrative this morning is that the recipient of this healing is a woman who's been crippled by disease and whose story is only told in Luke's gospel. This is the only place that we'll find it. And Luke, Luke only gives her three verses, and by the way, no name. And so this no-named woman, who has three verses in all of the gospels, She's about to have a significant encounter with Jesus. She's about to have a unique geometrical experience. And so, uh, let's get into it here. Uh, now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. 
She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, I'm, I'm reading from a slightly different version this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, the question is why. Normally, I read from the version that's provided in the pew for you. Uh, but, but here's why. Because it's caught a very significant word that, for whatever reason, the editors of the New International Version, which is what we have in the pew, they've simply left it out. I don't know why they left it out, but, they, but the ESV captures it. And that word is this, behold. So if you're reading from the New International, the one that's in the pew, right, it reads this way. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And between verses 10 and 11, there should be this word, behold. It's there in Greek, Behold. Now, what, why, why do I care, right? Why, why should I care that the, that the editors left it out? Here's the reason why. Luke, a Luke, along with all of the other New Testament writers, use this word often. Behold. It's like their way of saying, hey, what follows is really important. It's like a text message with all capital letters, right? This is, this is their, I want you to pay attention. So, so get this here, right? Get it. We have on a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Pay attention. There was a woman who had been crippled, who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years, and she was bent over and couldn't fully straighten herself. There was a woman who for 18 years has been bent over and who can't fully straighten. Now, I want us to picture this for just a moment, right? 18 years like this? 18 years never able to straighten up? Never able to look at the world around? 18 years of just staring at this circle of ground around your feet. 18 years of never looking anybody in the face. Right? 18 years of never seeing a facial expression. 18 years of just looking at this small circle, a small circle at my feet. I mean, for 18 years, right? For 18 years, this, this is her whole world. Now, for a little more context, remember at the time of Jesus in the ancient Near East, women have little value outside of marriage and the bearing of children. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to state the historical reality of the day. And so here's a woman who in the eyes of the culture has no value and she, she can't straighten up. She can't look anybody in the face. She can't enjoy the world around or who's simply overlooked, right? She's simply overlooked and passed by. And not only that, she's dealing with a physical malady, a physical infirmity. And this reality, at least, at least in Jewish eyes, has deep implications. What are those implications? Twofold. The first one is this, that she is clearly a sinner, perhaps an overt sinner, you see, there, there is a prevailing thought that sin, egregious sin, directly results in sickness or disease. 
Sin directly results in sickness or disease. We hear it in the question of the disciples when in John chapter 9, they ask Jesus, after seeing a blind man, they ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you hear it? The cultural reality is, is that sickness is an indication that she is a sinner. This ailment in the eyes of the day is nothing more than a billboard that screams sinner. Secondly, Jewish purity laws would keep people at a distance for fear that that sickness and that sin would somehow be transferred to me. So I'm not going to get too close to somebody who's sick or diseased because because quite honestly, if I get too close, then I'm going to pick it up. I mean, it's, it's actually quite shocking Again, in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, we we read this story, and behold, and behold, that's awesome, behold, there is a woman, again, a woman, behold, a woman who suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. She came up behind Jesus, and she touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Right, the prevailing cultural thought was this woman was willing to risk giving Jesus all of her sickness and all of her sin just so that she could be healed. And yet we know, don't we, that our healing happens when Jesus takes all of our sickness and all of our sin. And so here's this woman who for 18 years hasn't been able to straighten up hasn't been able to look anyone in the face, hasn't been touched, whose whole world is this this small little circle around her feet, the ground which her eyes can see. So imagine, friends, imagine having this this small circle and watching as, as sandaled feet come close to your circle but never enter into it. Always feet, and they're always moving. Never stopping, and there are never faces. I mean, this is the world of a no named woman in Luke 13. A woman who gets three verses. So imagine the moment when someone's feet enter into that circle. Imagine the moment when someone's feet didn't walk by but stayed. But imagine the moment. Luke writes, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said, woman, you are freed from your disability. Listen, and he laid his hands on her And immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. You know, the feet of Jesus, those feet that have been walking Israel over and over again, feet that will be washed by oil and hair, feet that have carried the good news of God's 
present and active reign on earth to anybody and everybody who will listen. Those feet, those same feet that will be pierced by nail and bear the weight of Jesus' own body on a cross, those feet, those feet enter her circle and stay. They aren't feet that move or walk past. They are feet of a person who is present and available. And then to hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, woman, you are freed from your disability. The word freed here literally means to be released like like a prisoner from chains. You have been set free. And for the first time in 18 years, she's not looking at feet, but she's looking at a face. The face of the Savior who brought the gentle touch of hands upon her shoulders, those hands, those hands that have blessed and broke bread for thousands, those hands that have brought healing to others, the hands that will cast out demons, those hands that will be split and spill blood for all of humanity so they can be washed and forgiven, those hands are laid gently on the shoulders, no longer rounded and bent in pain, but free and straight. Jesus has a thing for geometry. He steps into her circle. And he's available and present. And there, there, he provides healing. You know, it's got me thinking, church, are we really that much different than this snow-named woman in Luke 13? Right, hanging our heads in shame over the latest pornography binge or a failed marriage or chronic lying to spouse and to friends or to an addiction that I've hidden away from view or hanging our heads from the overwhelming sense of guilt from my, my selfishness, my explosions of anger, my insatiable lust, my, my far too busy lifestyle, my inability to be present and available to my, to my spouse or to my family, my, my tendency to point out the faults of other people while never really addressing mine, or my, my lack of gentleness, my lack of kindness, my, my pitiful and almost non-existent prayer life, my tendency to treat God and faith like a commodity rather than a life to be cultivated. Are we that much different hanging our heads under the weight of shame and guilt, not willing to look other people in the face, straying from the comfort that others would provide, and yet, and yet Jesus would step into our circle as well. Those same feet and those same hands says to me, you are freed, released from sin. You are made perfect in me. You, dear daughter and dear son, are mine. Jesus is present and available to you and to me. Pastor Batterson is right. Circles, circles are powerful. When humans and God share space, that's a, 
That's a different kind of geometry. You see, when Jesus walks, He's often walking into not only our circles, but into the circles of others. Apparently, He's a geometry fan. Friends, this is good news for us. That's good news for the world. You know, when we answer the call to walk with Him, when we begin to walk and work with Him, when we discover, we discover that Jesus is often taking us to places that are uncomfortable and yet beyond our imagination and expectation, when we walk with Him, we'll discover that Jesus is often taking us to the circles of other people, of people that we live and work and play with, that Jesus would have us in the circles and the stories of others. And friends, there's something powerful about circles. When God and humans share space, when you and I are present and available to the stories and to the journeys of others, when we can simply be available to that story, when we can be a face when we can be a face to other people that shines the brightness and the sweetness of Jesus. When we share a circle, we are walking with Jesus and walking with everyday people every day. You know, friends, in order to do this, though, in order to be present and available in the circles of others, we need to have the capacity to be present and available. I know I sound like a broken record here, but goodness gracious, like I, I can't emphasize enough the adult study, this ruthless elimination of hurry. Whether you're doing that on Sunday morning or Tuesday morning, you're doing it through the podcast. This is a study, friends, that will not only allow us to know what Jesus knows, but begin to put into practice the things that Jesus did. See, this growing in Christ-likeness, this slow reorienting of a rhythm and a tempo of the Lord and Savior. When we walk with Jesus, we allow him to shape and to mold us in the kingdom. And friends, this may be one of the places where he prunes away the unnecessary and the unhealthy. So that like him, we can be present and available in the circles of the people that we live and work and play with. There's this beautiful story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John are outside of the temple gates. And there, outside the temple gates, of course, are beggars who are looking for some kind of handout. Now, if, you, if you've ever lived in a, in a place where there are lots of homeless, a place where you've had an opportunity to interact with those who are struggling through homelessness, have you ever paid attention that they, that they won't look you in the face? Uh, they're looking certainly for some kind of handout, but they won't look you in the face. And so, and so in many ways, they, they look at this little circle of ground, unwilling to lift their head to see. This is a beautiful moment in the book of Acts, chapter 3. Peter and John, they come across a beggar who's looking for some kind of handout. And the first thing they say to them is, look at us. And Luke records there in Acts 3 that that beggar looks at them face to face. See, Peter and John that day, they, they came into that circle of that beggar. 
And for that small instance, for that small instance, they got to be the face of Jesus. They got to be his presence and availability to that beggar. They walked in to that circle. Listen, friends, we, we, we don't know what will come of the presence that we share with others or the time that we give to listen. We don't know what will come when we posture our hearts towards curiosity and compassion. We don't know how messy their life is going to be or how complicated it is or if the things that they say are going to offend us or we're going to disagree with. But nevertheless, friends, we, we don't know. We don't have to. We don't know but we don't have to. You know, a couple of years ago, I I stumbled across a beautiful prayer resource called Every Moment Holy, a prayer resource that provides prayers for a whole assortment of activities, for like that that first coffee in the morning, right? Like you, you know that you need this prayer, like, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this provision that you've provided in my cup that will allow me to be kind and gentle to those I love. You, you know who you are. They provide prayers for pre- preparing a meal for those who are going to come to your house. They, they even have prayers, right, for those who are needing to change a diaper, like that, we we need prayer through that. Right? Oh, Lord Jesus, we know that you're going to take us through the valley of the shadow of death, and we pray that you are with us in it. Lead us to the mountain, uh, mount of holy anointing, Lord. We want to be there. You see, the writers of those prayers, and quite frankly, those of us who pray those prayers, those prayers exist so that we see that everything we do Everything we do, whether it's coffee in the morning, it's preparing a meal for others or changing diapers, that everything we do lives within the rule and the reign of God, that every moment is indeed holy. You know, I came across this prayer as I was thinking about what it means to walk with Jesus and to walk in other people's circles. Here's the prayer. I cannot know the end of another person's story. Our lives so often only briefly intersect. And so let me be content to minister regardless of visible outcomes, trusting that the small mercies I extend will be woven into the larger theme of redemption at work in the lives of others as you woo them to yourself drawing their hearts by graces offered and shaping my own heart too in this process of learning to serve well. And by learning to serve well, learning to love well. Friends, this series has been a series on invitation, an invitation to walk with Jesus wherever he leads. Sometimes that's to uncomfortable places, but it's always to more than we can ask or imagine. It's an invitation to be yoked to him, to walk and to work with him so that we can find rest for our souls. And it is also an invitation into the circles of others. So though we bring this series to a close, I pray that over the course of our year, we would find ourselves again and again and again, heeding the invitation to come and walk with me. To God be the glory. Amen? Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.